0: I'm turning now on the word of God to the first book of Samuel, chapter 15, and reading verse 22. First Samuel, chapter 15, and reading verse 22. And Samuel said, "Had the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. And a subject for this evening's study is rebellion in disguise. Uh, sadly, this is what we see in this chapter with Saul particularly. He had an outward form of respectability and belief in God and his... Acts of worship were disguised with these things, with this respectability and this belief in God. But he was a rebel. He was a rebel against God. And this is clearly, this is what we clearly see in this chapter. It's so so sad to chronicle these events, but there are valuable lessons to to us to draw. All these things are written for the church of God in our age. So we come to this chapter with this in view. And we come to the beginning of the chapter and we read uh, the opening verses. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord hath sent thee to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken unto thou the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Verse 3. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Now, passages like this, especially verse 3, can, can be troubling to us when we look at this verse and God's command to ent- entirely annihilate and wipe out the Amalekites, men, women, and children alike. And uh, what we must bear in mind Is Firstly, is that this this judgment was spoken of centuries earlier, uh, hundreds of years before. The Amalekites were cruel and a brutal tribe and clan. And they attacked the Israelites when they were weak and feeble and vulnerable. uh, When they left Egypt, unprovoked, they decided to attack the Israelites. And I just draw your attention to this passage in Deuteronomy. Chapter 25, bear in mind, this is hundreds of years before um, this, uh, the time of Saul. This is hundreds of years before, and God would God promised that he would judge in due time the Amalekites for the evil that they did. But Deuteronomy chapter 25, reading verses 17 through to 19. Remember what Amalek did unto thee, by the way. This is what Moses is saying in Deuteronomy. Remember what Amalek did unto thee, by the way, when you were come forth out of Egypt... How he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou was faint and weary, and he feared not God. Therefore it shall be, when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thy enemies round about, in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it, that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of the Amalek under heaven. Thou shalt not forget it. Well God certainly didn't. And hundreds of years later, in this particular time, these vicious and cruel people would be punished by God. God gave them time to repent. He gave them hundreds of years to repent. But he foresaw their unrepentant state and how there would continue to be a menace and a threat to Israel. And so he commands now Saul to extinguish the, Amalekite, the Amalekites. And he would judge them. Well, in in our mod, in our modern ti- in our modern times, um, the idea of sin and God punishing sin is so, sounds repulsive to people in our day in our day and age. And such passages like this is, is are looked at with horror. And but we as Christians should know better. We realize that our God is holy and He's pure and He must judge judge sin. And although we cannot fully understand all the reasons why he judges at certain times the way he does. Nevertheless, we know as God's people that his, he is perfectly just in all that he does, in all his judgments. His judgments are perfectly just. He is pure, he is holy, and he is a God of perfect justice and fairness. But what about these dead infants then? Infants died in this as well. Well, the Bible teaches us That when we're born, we're born in sin. We're born sinners. David himself says, I was shaped in iniquity, Lord. I was even from my mother's womb. I have a sinful nature. But according to the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, uh, we believe that those infants, even toddlers, beyond the age of understanding the gospel, are elect of God. And the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to them. So babies and infants beyond the age of understanding and seeking the Lord and, and faith and so on, we believe, according to the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, that the blood of Christ is applied to them. They are elect of, they are elect of God. And we have proof texts to indicate this. Uh, later on in 2 Samuel, we see a proof text. I'm not going to go to the text now in the New Testament as well. There are proof texts. We can show you. um, But what we take away from these challenging verses and difficult verses is God is perfectly just in his exercise of his justice. And he's very long suffering and patient also. But there's another reason why he he commands Saul through Samuel to destroy everything, not just the people, but destroy the cattle, destroy everything. You must not leave anything, uh, You must, including the valuables. Don't take anything, but destroy everything. And the reason why God commands this, that they can't even take any spoil, is because, well, it must be seen by the people of Israel. It must be seen, it must be clear to all and other nations who would hear about this, that this was a divine act of justice. This was God meeting out his justice, his judgment upon the Amalekites. And if they had not followed God's commandment and they didn't and had they Saul and the men taken what they wanted, taken so much of the plunder and the cattle and the food stuff. um, Well, it wouldn't have looked like a judgment of God. It would have looked just like a a nation um, attacking another nation just to enrich themselves. It wouldn't come across. it It would actually mar God's reputation. And that's why God gave that specific command, don't take anything. Because, well, it would give people the wrong impression that this wasn't God's judgment. This was just one nation enriching themselves by attacking another nation. So we can understand why. It's the moder- a modern equivalent, if you will, of, um, and I'm, I'm not being political when I say this. I'm not going into politics. But, for example, these, there's a, a nation which is under the tyranny of a despot, a tyrant, and another, in, another nation, more, far more powerful than that nation, intervenes and deposes this supposed tyrant, and then immediately that nation seizes upon the oil, the oil facilities and so on. Um, well, you, you, you begin to be suspect. Well, sir, were their motives genuine? Did that nation really intervene to save the people from this tyrant, or did they just want the oil plant, the oil facilities? And we can see why God commanded uh, Saul and the army destroy everything. Don't take anything, because it must be seen that this is it, this is a judgment. I am judging this people. And if you take things and if you plunder them, you'll give everyone the wrong impression. So we bear these things in mind. But we come to verse verses four and seven, four through to seven. Saul and his men rallied together. Saul and gathered the people together and numbered them. And Talaim, two hundred thousand footmen, and ten thousand men of Judah, and Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy, lest I destroy you. He warns the Amalekites, He he warns the Kenites. Kenites were um, kind and favorable to Israel in the past. In fact. Um, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, was a Canaanite. And so Saul warns the Canaanites, flee the, flee the region. Otherwise, you will be a casualty of war. You are friends. Flee. And they do, and they do so. And the, Saul and his army pursue the Amalekites. And they defeat the Amalekites. We read this in verses 8 through to 9. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword, But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse that they destroyed that they destroyed utterly. And again, sadly, we see the Lord, We see Samuel. Uh, not Samuel, I beg your pardon, Saul obeying God's commandments only when it's convenient only when it's convenient. Um don't destroy everything. The Lord has God has spoken to us through Samuel. Destroy everything, destroy utterly everything, don't take in don't take anything. Well, yes, let's destroy everything, but uh the things that we need we'll take. Besides, the my army, my med, my men wouldn't be happy with me if we didn't have any sp- if I didn't have any spoil for their effort, for their efforts, so I'm happy. We're happy to obey some of the God's commandments, but destroy everything? That's a bit impractical. That's a bit unreasonable. That's not very pragmatic. Uh, this is going to go to this is going to go to waste. This is how this is how Saul was thinking. And why? Why did Saul spare the Amalekite king Agag? Why did he spare? Why did he spare him? Well, he, he didn't just spare the king. We're not, we're not told yet that, that other, other men were spared, but they must have been. Because later on, the Amalekites um, are, become a menace in David's time. They regroup and they attack David and his men at, an, at another point. So other men were spared as well, not just, not just the uh, king. And uh, we wonder, why did he do this? Well, some have suggested that he be, may have been holding Agag ransom. And uh, profiting, from, profiting from this excursion and this attack as much as possible. Getting as much spoil and profiting from it. That's just a suggestion. We, can't, we don't know for sure. And then verses 10 through to 11, then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel. God revealed these things, what had happened to Samuel. And the Lord said to Samuel, verse 11, it repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. He has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. But this verse, verse 11, it repenteth me. Does it mean that God changed his mind? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that God regretted what he did. It can't mean that, because God is incapable of changing his mind. He cannot change his mind. He cannot change his plans. He cannot change his purposes. Why? Because his plans and his purposes are perfect. So how can he change them? But the language God gives us the, the language here given is adapted for us to understand that God was displeased. His displeasure was now resting upon Saul. And he would punish him for it, he would take away his kingdom. He wouldn't change his plans because he had already purposed this to happen. But this is language for us to understand that God is displeased with Saul, and now things would change for the worst. For Saul, although this was pre-planned by God, but this but this news really does trouble Samuel. Samuel wasn't someone who looked, thought of his own reputation, and even though they desired a king above him, yet Saul, there Samuel had the best interest for, for Saul, and he really hoped that the Lord, he really hoped that Saul would, well, would repent and he would prosper. So Samuel was so troubled by this, and he was bef- before the throne of grace pleading with the Lord with tears. We read in these in these verses, but and we see, we see these things in verses thirteen through to fourteen. And Samuel came to Saul. Well, in verse twelve, in, in verse eleven, uh, the, the latter half of verse eleven, it grieved Samuel that Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. But in verses. 13 and 14, Saul, Samuel meets Saul the next day. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Bless be thou the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this, bleating of sheep in my ears, and lowing of oxen, which I hear? Samuel comes, barely the tears have dried off his eyes, so distraught at what uh, Saul had done. And Saul greets him as if all is well. He comes and he greets him very charismatically and with great confidence. And there doesn't seem to be any signs of sorrow or regret with Saul. He doesn't doesn't see the solemnity of this. He doesn't doesn't see how serious this is. Yes, I've, I've performed the laws, the commandments of God. Yes, I've done a few adjustments here and there, things which I see which are a bit unreasonable. I've adjusted things for our profit and our gain and our blessing. but by and large, I've, I've obeyed the laws, command, commandments. He saw the violation of God's of breaking these commandments as a trivial thing. The ends, Samuel. Don't get so cast down about these things. The ends justify the means. I've got the job done. The Amalekites are defeated. So there's no hint of regret or sorrow with Saul. And Samuel responds, have you obeyed the Lord? Have you really obeyed the Lord? Do you not hear the animals, the bleating of sheep, and the lowing of of the ox? Do you not realize what you've done, Saul? Do you not realize how you've marred? God's reputation, have you brought reproach upon the faith and upon this nation in what you've done? And then Saul responds in verse 15. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. Speaking, now he seems to be blaming his army. They, the men, have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Yes, we know what God commanded Samuel, and why not? But Samuel, why not take the spoil? Just think of what we can do with the spoil, with the with the cattle, with the with the rams, with all the food, and these good things. We can we can use the cattle, we can use the sheep to offer sacrifices to the Lord. What's the problem, Samuel? Why are you getting so worked up about this? This is Saul's Saul's attitude, and sa- and sadly. This spirit of rebellion is, is, well, we see it with Saul, just picking and choosing the commandments of God which are convenient to him and totally dismissing and disregarding the others. The spirit of rebellion. And sadly, we see the spirit of rebellion alive and well in many Christian circles today as well. God explicitly told Saul to destroy everything and not to take anything. It was so clear to destroy everything. And God tells us today, His people, He tells us not to to covet the polluted and soiled things of this world, the, the 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 polluted and soiled spoil of this world, because we are distinct. We are a distinct and a holy people. We're called out of darkness into His glorious light. Where His we're royal priesthood. We're not like the world. Yes, we are to reach souls out of this evil world system but never at the expense of losing our distinctiveness. And there's a very helpful verse in this respect in the letter of Jude and in the 23rd verse. Listen to this. The duty of reaching out to souls, others saving with fear, saving souls with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. We're told in regards to our evangelism, reaching out to lost souls, to do so with fear. What on earth does Jude mean? Reach out to them, but do so with fear. Fear. What is meant by fear is fear of being influenced by their sin, fear of being drawn back into the world. That's what Jude is talk. That's what Jude is talking about. But now, apparently, these warnings from the scriptures to not, love not the world, to uh, be very careful in our evangelism now these things are completely ignored and we can be creative with how we do church we can be creative with how we conduct the go- conduct conduct the gospel look at all the spoil that we've brought in from the world and our services can now be um entertainment based and we we, we shouldn't be preaching we shouldn't be warning people to flee from the wrath to come and we shouldn't be preach. We shouldn't be speaking about sin. No, we should. That puts people off. But no, we've got so much variety now from the world, and we can we can appeal to people to to look to Christ and to trust in Him by the spoil that we've got. Well, what's the justification for all of this? Well, people say it's it's for God's glory. We offer these things up for God's glory and for His and for His worship, but at, at the expense of ignoring. The many, many passages in the Bible, in the New Testament and the Old Testament, to not mingle the holy and the profane, and that we are distinctive. We're separated from this world. This is an evil world under the dominion of Satan, and we must be so careful. No, we'll ignore all that, and we can adapt, and we can, uh, and we can, we can adapt the gospel. We can adapt our message. We can, we can um, be creative with how we do things in church, and we can, we can employ all these things we can make our services look like concerts and we can make our services look like places of entertainment and we can call it worship now what's the difference between that and what Sam and what Saul has done picking and choosing the what to, picking and choosing the commandments of God those things which are convenient and those things which are not it's a spirit of rebellion but we read in verse 16 this dialogue continued between Samuel and Saul then Samuel said unto Saul stay and I will tell thee what the lord hath done to me to, said to me this night and he said unto him say on and Samuel said when thou was little in thine own sight thou was not was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel and the lord anointed thee king over, Is, over Israel and the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, "Go utterly and destroy the sinners of the Amalekites and fight against them until they be consumed." Wherefore didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil? That's what that was. That was that was your motive, and it's evil in the sight of the Lord. And uh, so Samuel responds to Saul, "You were you were, God called you from very humble beginnings, and you were." very and you um, in your estimation you were very you you were very humble you were very humble to begin with and in your own eyes you saw yourself as small and even your tribe and so on and then god gave you the great privilege of being the king of not just your tribe but the whole nation and with this great responsibility become with this great privilege comes great responsibility because you're not we're not just any nation but we're a nation governed under god and we, we are to answer to God. This is, this is the responsibility you have as king. And the instructions that God gave you in attacking the Amalekites was not ambiguous. It was very clear. It was very, it was very plain that you must not take any of the spoil. But why did you do this, Saul? Why did you take of the plunder? Why did you take these things? And you even left the Amalek king alive. Why did you do this? Just using it as an opportunity to enrich yourselves. Why have you done this evil? And then Saul insists that he did obey the Lord. I did obey the Lord Samuel. But he contradicts himself by saying that he's captured the the Agag, the Amalek king alive. Saul does admit that the the spoil that was taken should have been destroyed. Yes, Samuel, I admit. I shouldn't have taken that spoil. It should have been destroyed. But it was for the purpose of worship. This was for the purpose of offering sacrifices to the, to the Lord. And then Samuel's very known words in verses twenty through, two, through, to, 20, through to 23. And Samuel said, Had the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken than the fat of rams. And listen to this, verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness, as the iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. It reminds me of a passage in the Minor Prophets. I just turn your attention to this passage, Amos chapter 5 verses 21 through to 24, where there is this outward form of religion and great efforts to sacrifice and very ostentatious worship, and yet there's no hot religion. There's no love for the Lord. There's no earnest desire to please Him and to keep His commandments. Amos chapter, chapter 5, verses 21 through to 24 I hate, I despise your feast days. I will not smell in the salt your solemn assemblies, though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them, Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials, but let judgment run down as waters, and righteousness as a mighty stream. All your outward worship. All the sacrifices that you bring to me, Saul, are an utter abomination because they're done so with hypocrisy and in rebellion. You're doing so with a rebellious heart, Saul. Just picking and choosing my commandments. Instead of striving against sin, instead of fighting against these temptations, you're justifying these things, Saul, and you're celebrating the fact. That you're doing it, you're celebrating, you're offering these things to the Lord, things which you never should have taken. I will not accept your worship, I won't have any of it. And again, this this is this again. I'm I'm it's I feel reluctant in saying these things, but these are the lessons we draw. And God will not accept worship with a spirit of rebellion and hypocrisy, where we pick and choose. What to obey and what not to obey. The Bible, the commandments of God are optional in the Bible. And the things which are convenient will obey. And the things which are not convenient, we can just discard and even, repu- and even repudiate. And those who strive to keep all the commandments, we will call them Pharisees. We will, we will call them legalists. And it's, it's, it's so sad, this spirit of rebellion. Surely this is God's verdict today. When God calls us to be separate Biblical separation, separate from the world, and these doctrines are repudiated. They're hated, even in, church, even in churches. There is no longer any difference between the holy and the, and the profane. Look at verses 20, 20, reading from verse 24, and the, the, react, the reaction of Saul. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned. I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord. Thy word, and thy words, because I have feared the people and obeyed their voice, the fear of man brings a snare. now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me, that I may worship, I may worship the Lord. Saul admits that he has, he has fallen into sin, and he asks Samuel for his pardon, but it's not genuine. Of course, it's not genuine because he's thinking about how he will appear before his men. And we see this in verse 30. Look at verse 30. Then said he, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. Samuel, don't don't do this in public. Don't Don't put me to shame before my men. This is humiliating. You can speak to me in private, but don't do this publicly. Come with me and worship me. Just give the people the impression that all is all is well. He's not really repentant. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry, Samuel, for what I've done. I'm really sorry, but never mind. Come and let's worship together. Um, all is forgotten. And he's not really repentant before the Lord. He's not really troubled and convicted by sin like we see with with the other uh, men of God in the Scriptures, like David, deeply convicted troubled and convicted in his private prayers before the Lord at Psalm 51 for example no genuine repentance no can no conviction and Samuel refuses Samuel walks away but then Saul holds on or grabs Samuel by the by his mantle by the coat and he tears some of his coat and Samuel responds by saying Saul this is what will happen to you you've torn my mantle but your kingdom will be taken away from me. your kingdom will be taken away from, from away from you this is what will happen to you to your to your kingdom and then Saul again attempts to plead with Samuel to come with him he insists ye asks, Samuel come and worship with me and don't put me to shame before my men and in verse 32 Samuel said bring ye hither then he follows he follows Saul he responds to Saul. He, does, he doesn't endorse Saul. He doesn't go with Saul to worship. But there's unfinished business. Verse 32. Then Samuel said, bring ye hither to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came unto him delicately, fearfully, apprehensively. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, as thy sword hath made woman childless. So shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And after this, Samuel would never see Saul again until his death. Until his death. And Samuel, again, I said, when he returned with Saul, he didn't go with him to worship, but he went to, well... Agag was a bloodthirsty man he had slaughtered countless people and we can assume that many of them were innocent you've taken away the sons of many sons and daughters of many of many parents many many mothers many fathers and now you yourself will receive justice and samuel kills the amalekite king saul had such a lopsided view of god such a lopsided view of the true faith. He thought that God, the God of Israel, was a God who didn't mind sin. He thought that the God of Israel was a God whose whose commandments were optional. As long as you maintain an outward form of, of worship, an outward form of religion, God's commandments are optional. He doesn't look at the heart. These things are not important. This is what Saul thought. So the lessons we take away from here this morning is, or from here this evening, I beg your pardon, is well, the spirit of rebellion. It, it can be in disguise. This Samuel, Saul had had a, a belief in God, and he had a respect for, for the things of God, but he was a rebel, and he picked and chose which commandments to obey, what were, con, what were convenient. And we, we read in Scripture in many places, God's Utter contempt and hatred and detestation for an outward form of religion where there is a spirit of hypocrisy and rebellion in the heart this is something which God particularly hates according to the teaching of scripture and this and this passage so we must remember that the heart is deceitful and desperate and desperately wicked and sometimes you it, it may seem that people are very spiritual and People get worked up with this, well, worship in inverted commas, but it's more like mysticism when there's a direct attack upon the emotions and people feel so close to God and, 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 and their tears drawing and they're deeply stirred by these things. But afterwards, they go to the pub and they, they do things and they embrace things which God absolutely detests and, and, and hates. Well, I'm not, I can't be, I'm not being overcritical and there are no doubt there are people in these churches who genuinely love the lord and they're striving against sin and there's a true great work of grace in their hearts but there are great there are many more who have an outward form of religion but they live lives like worldlings they have no hold upon god it's just an outward profession of faith and it's a pick and choose religion but even in even in churches where we strive to follow the blueprint of scripture and the blueprint of how we run our churches, even we must be on our guard. And we because we, we can be guilty as well of allowing the look the, the world to come into our hearts and pollute our hearts, even in even in re, good, sound reformed churches. This can this can happen. So the lesson is here is we must fight. We must earnestly fight. And wage war against these sinful, worldly, and dangerous impulses which rise within us, and the temptations from the world. And well, there are many examples I can give. Do I? Is it really necessary that I spend my money on this very, very expensive item? So I must always question. We must um, seek the Lord in these in in these issues. Issues when there is something extravagantly expensive. I must seek the Lord in this. Am I being covetousness? Do I am um, I being covetous? Do I really do I really need this? Should I be watching this program? It's a good program, but it's got this man keeps blaspheming. Should I be, should I carry on watching this? So we must be so careful not to be desensitized, not to allow Satan is working overtime. Satan is working around the clock. The, the, one of the greatest enemy, if not the greatest enemy, at the church in this in this current age, is worldliness. And Satan is wor- working around the clock, trying, in trying everything to for Christians to lose their distinctiveness, so that we live compromised and worldly lives. So we must do everything by everything. We must, by God's grace, endeavor to strive against sin, to mortify sin, to be on our God, and to. Take a lesson from Samuel. Samuel's approach to, I'm speaking spiritually, to Agag, and that is our approach to sin. Zero zero tolerance concerning sin. Fight against the Amalekites of sin. Wherever we see them, we mortify them. We don't justify it. We fight against sin. We endeavor to live lives which are pleasing to the Lord. Yes, we will fail from time to time, but we strive against sin. And while earnestly having a great burden for lost souls and with that anticipation of that blessed hope that one day the war will be over and we will finally be with our Redeemer and our Savior. Amen.